And now, ladies and gentlemen, right to your hosts of Down the Garden Path, Joanne Shaw and Matthew Dressing. joining us down the garden path tonight where we are we discuss down-to-earth tips and advice while doing our best to help you seasonally manage your gardens and landscape i'm joanne shaw owner of down-to-earth landscape design and with me is my co-host matthew dressing hello matthew good evening joanne and good evening everyone and thank you for joining us i'm matthew dressing owner of Natural Affinity Garden Design. As landscape designers and gardeners, we believe it is important and possible to have great gardens which are sustainable and low maintenance, and we want to help you make it happen. That's right. And tonight, we wrap up our deep dive into some of the most popular landscape shrubs, which grace the nursery benches and our gardens, with a look at Wigilia's. Wigelias, Wigelias, there's right, tomato, tomato. Uh, their colorful foliage, their season of blooms, and their low maintenance. I, I think that's a key part of it. They are a low maintenance shrub and the different size cultivars to fit perfectly in any garden. So I'm looking forward to tonight. I, I think the Wigelias are like, I would consider them like a backbone, backbone kind of plant, wouldn't you? I agree. I yes. agree. They're just oh, low maintenance, they're colorful, great blooming. Uh, long, nice, long blooming, reblooming. Uh, that's that's right. definitely a, one of the most popular shrubs out there. Excellent. Or so, shrub. if you'd like to join the conversation, or you have a Wigilia question, or a question about any other shrubs, because it is our last episode all about shrubs, our last episode of July, uh, we would love to hear from you. Send your questions and or pictures to instudio101 at gmail.com. And uh, I like to think I always joke about uh, Wigilia's being almost like, and this is for our Canadian listeners, um, Tim, Tim Horton's coffee, and that there's a size for everybody <laughs> from extra large to to a small. Um, so anyway, uh, there you go. So yeah, I think I think it really uh, there is uh, one for everybody and there's a spot in everybody's garden for one. So um, so yeah, I'm looking forward <laughs> to talking to them about tonight. Did you like that? <laughs> I have a I have a Tim Horton's kind of plant list myself, but it's those ones that like Tim Horton's always plants out at like every single store. So it's like, oh, that's just a Tim Hortons plant. Let me show you something that'll do better. Oh, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> like Stella's or Spirea's or something, yes. right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, for sure. For sure. So, that's so yeah. Right. So can you believe we've talked about, so for anybody who's just joining us tonight, um, July was shrub month and I think we had five, right? Five, shrub, five weeks in this month. We did two episodes, so maybe four two episodes on hydrangeas so hydrangeas part one and hydrangeas part two and we talked about nine barks last week and so it is just four and Wigilia is tonight um but we did talk uh we did have a shrub month uh last year in 2020 uh so those episodes are available uh on our websites or on your favorite uh podcast app which will give you more information about those shortly so so yeah, so let's start talking to like I think everybody probably grew up. You were saying before the show that you grew up with a uh, with a uh, large wigilias in your backyard. So I think you know older properties. 
it's one of those people re recognize, um, is it Bristol Ruby? The big one that bloomed in spring and bloomed pink, but was usually got to be quite large, right? Um, uh, Bristol Ruby or Red Prince. Yeah, exactly. And I think I had I had Bristol Ruby because I remember uh, dad having to go out and prune it down to to like three by three or whatever. Uh, and it was always trying to get to its its maximum height, um, which is about, I believe, seven by seven. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, so it's, she's it's a, yeah. She's a big one. <laughs> yes, definitely. So I mean, I think the blooms on it are nice and unique and um, you were saying too, it's heavily been hybridized. So there's lots of varieties of them. Um, I don't know that we're going to be able to talk about every variety, but we've got a few series um, that we like wanted to highlight for you. And so that's what we're going to do tonight. Uh, yeah. So again, um, whether you spell, pronounce it Wigilia or Wigilia, what's the other one? Wigilia, Wigelia. Yeah. Wigelia, Wigelia. Wigelia, yes. I say Wigelia, add that extra vowel in there between the L and the A. Uh, yes. But if you look it up uh, in the pronunciation guides for, for horticulture, it's mm. Wigela. Wigela. Okay. And it's actually named after uh, Christian, uh, I'm going to say totally wrong, Ehrenfeld von Wigel. And he was an 18th century German professor of botany, uh, amongst other things, at the University of Greifswald. Mm, That's where that name comes from. <laughs> interesting. And the botanical name is Wigilia, Florida. That's the most, yeah, that's the most okay. common one that we'll see. But like you had said, there are so many varieties, cultivars, hybrid, there are thousands, like thousands of them okay it's there's way so 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 many so the ones that we see yeah are there they're wigilia florida uh and they're usually the main one that hybridizes with other ones and that we see in the garden center do we know why florida yes you know what it, it, we think florida because i think we probably initially think florida as in the state la florida or florida in, in the united states but it's actually they're native to northern china korea and were introduced or naturalized in Japan in like 1860-ish. So Florida actually from back then means of many flowers. So oh, okay. this plant named after the professor and then of many flowers because it is a very free flowering and has many flowers as we're going to discuss uh, yeah. as well. So yeah, okay. and then so Florida, you get, sometimes they'll say, you know, newer cultivars, Florida as in Florida, but then you'll see Floridana or Floridanus as being of Florida, the state of Florida. Okay. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. So, a little bit of that in shrub name stuff. As far as conditions, as we kind of jump in, uh, these guys are full sun um, to a partial shade, but and a number of them will tolerate uh, some good partial shade as well. A lot of the cultivars that we'll see are hardy uh, from zone four through zone eight, and sometimes through zone nine. Uh, I think it tends to be more of a heat thing there, uh, but they are very adaptable to various soil conditions, uh, especially urban pollution. Uh, but it is a well-drained site that they do tend to prefer. If it's too boggy or too wet, uh, we can run into some issues there. Mm. Uh, but overall, they, they're fairly adaptable with some good drainage and you're good to go. Yeah, they're, they're, they really don't need a lot of babying. I mean, that's why I kind of no. say like they are really a no fuss 
as long as you put in the right size one, you know, putting in too big of one in a small garden, um, that kind of thing. But I think it, it is a pretty, you know, where hydrangeas, you know, will show you that they need more water and, and, and things like that. Um, Wigilias are pretty, pretty adaptable. So I think that, um, um, is good and bad. Cause I think sometimes you just forget about them. Right. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Cause they don't need a lot of babying, but, um, yeah. Um, and I think when I started designing many years ago now, um, the wine series was kind of new on the new on the, um, block kind of thing. And that to me, um, you know, was great because I love me a shrub or a planty plant really that does two things. So I always yes. say to my clients, you know, it's, it flowers in the spring, beautiful pink, but it has burgundy foliage. So when it's finished flowering, you still have something of interest in the garden. Um, and again, like my joke about a Tim Hortons coffee, they come, you know, um, spilled, spilled wine, fine wine, wine and roses. Um, uh, midnight wine is even smaller. So they really slowly, you know, they started kind of with wine and roses and then they kind of added to the series so it's it's a great little shrub, don't you think? I agree. Yes, I agree. Uh, and I remember too when when the, they just started to come onto the scene, and they're always adding in a new one uh, to that little series. So, yeah, I agree. Do multiple things, long blue time, double duty in the garden uh, with that beautiful foliage uh, as well, for sure. So just going into maybe a little bit more detail, maybe some people are having trouble drawing into mind what a Wigilia is, and I'm going to say Wigilia because I'm not going to say Wigilia, but uh, Wigilia. Um, but they, we are going to see cultivars that are ranging, and again, going to Joanne, your point, that, that right plant, right place, anywhere from 18 inches by 18 inches to up to, again, that like six and a half to seven feet tall and wide, going back into like Bristol Ruby. Uh, but most of the cultivars we're seeing now are going to be, you know, that four by four, five by five ish with mm -hmm. wine and roses, for example, in the in the wine series. Um, but yeah, leaves, they're simple. They're oppositely held. Uh, they're usually about two to four and a half inches long, depending on which one you've got. And anywhere uh, from about three quarters of an inch to an inch and a half wide again depending on, on uh, what cultivar you have. And they usually have to some of the cultivars just like a slightly wave into the leaf. So they're, they're not just like perfectly flat, although some of them are, but some of the cultivars, especially when even they're like opening, and I think of spilled wine, um, sometimes when they're clustered together and they're, they're expanding, they have a little bit of a wave or a curl to them that then flatten out to a slight wave or, or completely uh, flat. But then overall, uh, like we were saying before the show, they just form a nice rounded, dense shrub spreading, lots of branches. If you leave them to be old, especially with some of the bigger, older varieties, uh, I remember they can, they can almost go up and out to form that nice rounded, dense shrub, but some of them will arch all the way back down to the ground, especially in some of the, the bigger, older varieties or cultivars. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Um, we've got a few questions. Oh, yeah. Um, I've that totally down. Yeah, that's okay. So Adam has written in and he says, are these Wigilia plants supposed to be planted in cooler weather or can you do it now? Yeah, I've got lots of people still coming in and purchasing their Wigilias or Wigilas uh, right now. Perfectly fine. Um, if you're worried that you've got the really, really warm soil, um, I like to 
dig a hole at night and let the earth kind of cool off into the evening and then plant it earlier in the morning so the ground is nice and cool and you can plant it if you're worried about that sort of thing but yeah yeah as long as you're home to kind of take care of it again easy to transplant and mm-hmm. very adaptable Adam yeah yeah very adaptable as long as you're home like you said we're still putting in gardens like anybody who's installing gardens for a living like we don't stop right we don't no. you know uh so uh so yeah so I and I think they are very much uh really resilient to kind of a plant shock as well they're they're very they really are tough plants. So, um, so yeah. So I think the key there is just finding the right one uh, for the spot and for your garden. And hopefully today's show will help you um, pick that, right? Oh, that's um, right. Yeah. So, and our next uh, question, Paula has written in and she says, I know in brackets, I think that these plants have a lot of issues with aphids or powdery mildew. Is that the case? I have never really experienced aphids on them. Um, and only powdery mildew if they're really densely packed and overhead watered or, but mm. I mean, in the garden center, I've never had any issues um, with either of them, really. Yeah. No Japanese beetles. The one thing we do get just in our garden center, because it's a very large, open, uh, cemented space, when the flea beetles arrive uh, in mid to late June and start bouncing around uh, and gather numbers. They will jump around on those, a few, knit a few little holes into the leaves and leave, uh, but they don't really do anything too much. Yeah. Um, no, I have not found that. No, no. I, I think um, with, with um, Paul, with uh, the uh, powdery mildew, I think you might be mistaking them with the burgundy of like last week's uh, a show on uh, Nine Bark. They tend to be a bit more prone to, to mildew. Um, I haven't found aphids to be a, a problem either, um, you know, and I think because they're, they are tough and they are, they don't require much TLC, uh, they don't seem to really attract any, any insects. So, yeah, so no, I think, uh, I think uh, check them out because uh, they are good for that. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah. Very um, few pest issues. Oh, we've got another question, a little off topic, but that's okay, Dave, because it is a good timely question. Um, he's saying, is it too late to prune my evergreens? And you're still in the window, right, Matt? July. Yeah, you're still in, in just on the, off the end of that window. You should be okay. Yes. Yeah. 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 So uh, definitely, yeah, the new growth of the boxwoods and the ewes um, and, and the cedars too. Um, don't take too much of the cedars, but um, the key there is you're remembering that when you prune, you are pruning and in- pruning encourages new growth. And we don't want to do that a ton um, as summer winds down because then that that uh, new growth hasn't hardened off for the winter. Um, although I think that number like that, that date is kind of moving because we're not really yes. getting hard winters, <laughs> like hard frosts and stuff until late in the season. So that, that number is pretty good. So, uh, so yeah. Um, I agree. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. and this is a good tip from a different Dave. Excellent. I think it was a different Dave. Let me just go check. Uh, yes, different Dave. <laughs> <laughs> um, deer. So here's a tip for property owners that have issues with deer. Deer hate these shrubs. Plant them. That is good to know. So we do get sometimes some questions about uh, about uh, deer. So it is good to know that wajillias do not, that deer do not like wajillias. Yes, exactly. They do not like wajillias at all. So it's a great uh, little border shrub. 
uh, or large shrub if you need, because we've got lots of different variety and sizes and shapes and colors uh, for you to plant wherever you might need them to That's defend right. against those deer. Yeah. yeah. Um, so after the wine series, I'm just going to go in my progression as a designer and what I remember coming out. So I don't know if these are all accurate dates or, or this is an accurate timeline, but I, this is my timeline. Um, so after the introduction of the wine series, um, I, I know they introduced um, my Monet, which was a variegated one, tiny. This one's like 18 by 18 inches and, uh, and the white, but and I'm not a, I'm not a variegated person. Like I don't like variegation necessarily, but because this had the white margins had a very nice blush to them, especially over the season. So yeah. it would have the pink, would be variegated foliage, pink flowers. And then even when the flowers uh, ended, the white parts of the leaves um, kind of had a pinkish tone. So it was a really neat, it was a really neat little feature um, in the garden, as well as the fact that it was, you know, almost the size of a perennial really. Yeah, yeah, they're 18 to 24 inches tall and wide. Um, yeah, they're a great little guy for sure. And then now, late recently, um, they also have My Monet purple effect. Uh, yes. So it's a, that pink flower, that same variegation, but the flowers have kind of a slight purple undertone, but then more so when instead of blushing like a pink, they blush a little bit more of a purple. So you okay. get that purple effect into that My Monet series as well. Okay, yeah. excellent. And that's good because I haven't seen that one yet. So thank you for telling me about that. Yeah, that one I think is only was introduced like a year and a half, two years ago. Okay, do you does your garden center have it? We did. We carried it the first year. And then I have not seen uh, my Mo I haven't seen many my Monet purple or just the straight yeah. uh, cultivar for a while. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. They can get well, we'll talk about, you know, um, they can get a little woody and need some love um, as they mature. So we'll, we'll come back to that as, as we talk about the different varieties. Um, then the next series for me was the Sonic Bloom series, which I know was just mm. a few years ago. Yeah. Um, although I know I, you told me that Electric Love was in the Date Night series. So yeah, so there's two other series. So Date Night and Sonic Bloom. Um, Sonic Bloom being a repeat bloomer. So I actually have um, Sonic Bloom red in my garden because I have very little red blooming. And, um, and so that's a red flower, but green leaf. Right, right. So, and I have to say, it really does keep blooming. Like it really stays, um, you know, and again, it kind of gets a little, it kind of, I think I need to prune it harder and to kind of keep a new um, interesting shape. Like once it leaves out, it's okay. But in the spring, before it really leafed out, it like it just looked sad and and kind of like a weird kind of gangly um, because I didn't I didn't prune it in time. And then I thought oh, I started pruning one of them. But then I was like, oh, I'm going to wreck the blooms. So then I stopped and it, so it's slightly misshapen. But anyway, um, but they're both blooming the same. So that's that was kind of a good test because the one that I didn't touch and the one that I did are still both blooming. So so that's good to know. Yes. Yeah. You're not going to prune off all the flowers or right, do weird right. things like that. Yeah. 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 And I do have them make in a hot, dry spot beside the driveway. They probably get some, you know, side, some from the road, some from assault from the, uh, the driveway, you know, so they, they really are tough. So, um, and I love that it's a repeat bloomer and the red is a nice red. The red is really a good red. So um, definitely uh, I've seen 
Um, I put them in a garden. I think the hummingbirds, like literally, uh, I think the homeowners bought the plants and I was like there the next day and they planted the plants um, without me. And when I was there the next day, there were hummingbirds already, they already were getting hummingbirds to their garden, but the hummingbirds found the, the, um, and I think that was actually the date series. So uh, it was probably maroon swoon, but the flowers are very similar. So, uh, so yeah. Yeah. Maroon swoon. Yeah. That one's a nice one too. Um, getting up to, up to five feet by three feet, depending on their conditions, but yeah, beautiful, beautiful red uh, abundant, rich red flowers in spring. Yeah. The Sonic. So let's just go back to the Sonic blue yes. for a second. Did the size, does it stay the, the four by four? Is it kind of like wine and roses? Yeah. So that Sonic bloom group, uh, is that four by four, uh, that, that nice rounded four by four kind of group for sure. And then okay. like you were saying, uh, you get Sonic bloom pink, uh, uh, pearl, which is that white with a slight pink blush, uh, and then you get that nice red color. And then we also have Ghost, which is, as the foliage ages, it gets kind of like a yellow color, a creamy yellow, and then a, like a green speckling into it uh, as it moves through the summer. So well, that one's an, an interesting one as well. Yeah, I'm not sure if I'm like looking at the pictures of it. It kind of is um, Spirea. It will, will remind you a little bit about Spirea. Like I think just the sense that 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 yellow foliage from a distance, and um, yeah, you don't like uh, it. I, I I have to say I don't. When looking at it, I mean, I yeah, I have to say I don't. Um, if it was dwarf, I think it could be an interesting one. Although yes. they, you know, as much as we say, it's nice to know that if you did nothing, it's only going to get four by four or five by five, which I, you know, I appreciate that with wine and roses, right? It's never going to be a Bristol Ruby and be a seven by seven, like take yeah. over the, you know, <laughs> the backyard, but they are pretty forgiving as far as pruning goes. And uh, so you can, you know, it is maintenance, so it doesn't kind of tie into our whole, you know, low maintenance and don't, t- you know, do anything with it. But if, but they are very uh, forgiving. They are very, very um, forgiving, most certainly. Um, don't really need lots of deadheading. Uh, easy to prune. You can just go in. You can give them a, a light shear uh, back after they've flowered and, and cut off the, the little seed heads, tidy it up, cause it to break and get some new growth on some of the branches. And that's where they'll send out just some uh, little side shoots or little clusters of those bell-shaped uh, pink flowers uh, throughout the season or bubble up on some new growth in some of those new waves of uh, color. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, so just talking about quickly, I think maybe just giving a little bit bigger picture of the blooming. Uh, most of them are going to bloom anywhere from, again, depending on where you are, uh, anywhere from late April, May uh, into and through June. And again, repeat blooming throughout the season. Uh, depending on the cultivar. And as we were discussing, uh, that sonic bloom is comes out in waves. So you'll get that main flush and then she'll retreat and she'll just kind of be green and give you some new leaves. And then she'll send out continuous waves of flowers, green flowers, green flowers, green, or even just having clusters of flowers coming, going almost all the way uh, through the season. And again, each cultivar uh, will be doing it uh, just slightly differently. Uh, because mm-hmm. some of them don't do it. Some of them kind of bubble up randomly. Some of them have more of a solid uh, wave or that that flowering. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I like how the, the flowers, I don't know what that is called. You probably know the science term um, for like the branching, like, you know, hydrangeas, it's kind of like the, the buds come at the tips of the plant for the most part. Right. And they've got the big blooms, but for Wigilias, the flowers are all kind of all along the uh, branches. Yeah. So they'll come out on little stems. What's that term? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they'll come out on little stems and, and actually they'll come out on uh, closer, like along the stems or closer to the ends of the last year's wood, uh, mainly for their main flush. And then the, the later ones tend to be on newer growth, but they're actually little auxiliary chymes or cymes, however you want to say it, uh, C-Y-M-E-S. So they're little clusters of, of flowers on short stems, and then they bloom uh, from the inside of that cluster to the outside of there, or they open from the inside to the outside uh, of that cluster. And then, yeah, they'll go all the way up those big, long, those big, long arching stems uh, yeah. of, of that older growth or from that last year's growth. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. And then the Date Night series, which Maroon Swoon, Electric Love is a dwarf variety of that. I know that was introduced at Canada Blooms a few uh, years ago. Every garden yeah. at Canada Blooms had Electric Love in it, which was cool. <laughs> um, so that, I believe, had burgundy foliage, right? With red, was that burgundy? Oh. It wasn't burgundy, but it was a very very dark green like it was a okay. rich rich green and then it really popped off of um that really like electric electric red color it's okay so sharp looking yeah there is a hint of like it's not it's it's a yeah there's a hint of burgundy not I, not quite when i look at these there is a bit of like it's not as burgundy as the wine and roses yes but yes. like you said it's it's a nice it's a nice shade like I think of like the rubber tree plant you know how it's got it's not quite green it has a bit of undertone burgundy undertones to it that I would agree with yes for yeah. sure for sure yeah and I just think they're great I mean especially for new gardeners so new gardeners out there that are intimidated by perennials and certainly don't want to spend the money and, and the maintenance that annuals require some of these dwarf shrubs are perfect you know, the electric love, um, the Maimone, the ones that stay small, um, really gives you the season of bloom that no perennial will give you really. And, um, and not the, you know, no deadheading, no staking, no, not a ton of water. They really are a good place to start. So, um, so yeah, so I really do believe that there's a garden, there's one for everybody. And if you want something really showy, if you're really wanting to attract uh, butterflies or sorry, uh, hummingbirds, you know, certainly anyone with the red flowers is good because it's got that nice tuberous, like uh, trumpet, like right flower. Yes. Yeah. It's like a, almost a perfect bell shaped flower Mm. uh, that springs out. Yeah. Always is. Yes. Yeah. So that <laughs> yeah. is good. And they're about a one to two inches long. Yeah. Right. Okay. You can get that kind of two tone because the outside of the bell tends to be a little bit darker than the color, like whether it's the red or the pink or the white uh, or even pink and white, the inside tends to be just a sliver of a lighter shade uh, than, than the outside of that bell. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. As we reach the bottom of the hour and then I have a, a cool, uh, a little wajili I actually only learned about today. Um, oh, yes. I'll see if you like it. Um, but yeah, I just want to take a minute to say thank you for joining us live here on Reality Radio uh, 101. I'm Matthew Dressing here with my co-host Joanne Shaw, and you are listening to Down the Garden Path. 
Joanne and I enjoy hosting Down the Garden Path each week, bringing you interesting and relevant topics to help you achieve a great garden. We learn right along with you from our research and from the wonderful guests that join us here on the show. Don't forget you can spend more time with us down the garden path. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Our handle there is at down the garden path podcast. You can also find us on your favorite podcast provider. And while you're there, please hit that subscribe button to be notified of new content. And please don't forget to like, share, and leave us a comment. We love hearing where you guys are from and hearing from our listeners in general. If you need to write us, you can always write us here. Gary, our wonderful producer, always gets our mail here. And the email address there is in studio 101 at gmail.com. And you can always visit us at our websites. You can find Joanne at www.downthenumber2earth.ca. And you can find myself at www.naturalaffinity.ca. So the one that I learned about tonight, mm-hmm. just because we were talking about variegated foliage or the, the you were just saying like the yellow foliage uh, of ghost, um, I found Wajelia Florida snippet lime. Ooh. So it's a proven winner. Okay. Um, so that's with the Sonic Bloom series. So I was just looking at that about who's who makes who, which one. So yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So is, is snippet lime one of the Sonic Blooms? Uh, well, uh, Proven Winners, definitely. So Sonic Bloom series are brought to us by Proven Winners. Yes. Um, shout out to them. Uh, in the white, everybody knows about the white pot with the black writing. Uh, yeah. Whereas the Date Night series are more the Bluminese um, blue pots. Uh, but uh, Proven Winners, you know, I'm thinking as probably... Um, well, the blue pots are recognizable too. So yeah, so those are the growers. And um, so yeah, so let me say that again. So it's Snip snippet like i'll take a little snippet of this uh snippet lime so it grows uh 12 to 24 inches tall and wide so it's a nice dwarf one um Mm -hmm. vivid like baby pink on the outside with like a little bit of a darker hue to a nice kind of white baby pink on the inside and the throat uh of it and then um it comes out with uh it's it's almost like a glowing limey green foliage so it's not quite a, like a chartreuse but i almost mm. like pictures to me look like it's very olive lime green to it mm. so it's not super bright but it's a very neat uh lime green foliage and it, it's quite nice with those pink uh flowers and then this one as well uh doesn't really need any deadheading uh and then again it uh, blooms in waves so she blooms late spring early summer and then she's going to send out waves of flower all the way through uh, mm-hmm. to the end of the summer, early fall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they say it actually forms a little ball. So that's kind of nice. So it's very rounded. Mm-hmm. And this is something too that we didn't mention, but we totally, totally should is that, well, this variety, but I think all the, many of the other varieties actually would do well in a container. Yes, um, yes. So yeah, so this is one where they say, you know, it's also a great selection for container gardens. So that is good. And uh, yeah, it is, uh, it is a proven winner. And uh, it is a long blooming, re-blooming uh, Wigilia. So, so yeah, so definitely does your garden center have this one in stock? We do not. No, ah, we do not. Okay. But I will be trying to order it. I am uh, looking good. very hard for yeah. it <laughs> yeah no definitely uh definitely yeah I mean I think that would brighten up a spot you know me with my I don't mind um yellow 
foliage or lime colored foliage. So, um, so yeah, it almost reminds me, well, not quite, but I was just thinking of the Aurelia, you know, the Sun King Aurelia. So not Mm -hmm. quite, this is definitely a bit more lime, more greeny than that one, but uh, yeah. Um, And I just think again, anybody who's got a small garden or, you know, that high traffic area, sometimes right by the front door, where you just want something blooming all the time. And I know you try a perennial, um, like I've got, you know, um, you know, my salvias or my speedwells, but they do, you know, require a bit of deadheading and, and, you know, waiting for the second flush, that type of thing. Um, whereas, uh, you know, small, some of the smaller varieties of Wigilia are just going to be fine on their own. Yes. Aren't they? Yeah. So, um, now is with the, with the different varieties, do you think prune the if you need to prune so again if you didn't buy the right size for your garden then you will need to prune if you bought the right size and you shouldn't really need to prune but if you did um, want to prune it do you think you treat the reblooming ones differently from the others or are they all kind of the same no I think they're all kind of the same because the reblooming tends to be more so on the newer growth than the old old growth so I think just you get your that main flush uh late springish um, depending on where you are, you give it that kind of that nice shear. You can either just kind of deadhead prune, like just kind of give it that shear and take off all the old blooms. Or if you did have a bigger one, uh, that would be the time, you know, cut it back by up to a third, uh, remove that foliage, kind of take her down to size. And then she should come out with some new breaks, some new uh, young vigorous growth, and she should flower off of of the top of those. And then you can probably just maintenance prune as you need to, if it's interfering with a walkway, or again, it's taking over a window uh, or something like that. You can just give her a light here or there as you, as you need to. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to rejuvenate it, if it's just kind of old, maybe you have a Wagelia that's not really blooming anymore. Uh, you can go in and take a look at the, the stems in late winter, early spring before she's really leafed. Look to find the oldest, thickest wood in there and take up to a third of those older stems and remove them from the core. Uh, and she should reward you again with uh, some new growth and some new stems to kind of take over and, and give you some new growth. Remember, blooms on uh, the older wood primarily. So you may not get to, you know, depending on your shrub, if you take chunks of it out when you do that, you may not get as many or as hard of a flowering, but you'll probably get some good flowering. Uh, just with some renewed vigor and uh, her just recognizing that you, I just took a third of you. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. So easy, That's, easy maintenance. Easy. Okay, good. Um, so draw Josh has written in, it says, it sounds as if these plants have amazing colors. That is very cool. Maybe I will try to plant one. Excellent. Josh report back and let us know what you choose and uh, which, uh, what you think. Um. Now we've got, so James is saying, interesting topic. I'm in zone 2B in the Quebec area. Would I still be able to grow these? They sound lovely. So I just did a quick search and it it goes to zone four only, Matt, but they seem so tough. So I don't know, James, I'm sorry. You know what, James, look for one that is, is zone four. Um, Maybe try giving it a little bit of mulch around the roots because that, that, cold it's that hardiness that zone hardiness is it's cold hardiness so if you can kind of keep it mulched or a little warmer somehow you might get away with it um or again just kind of keep watching those new ones and seeing if she uh drops down into that zone uh for you yeah yeah, i was looking to see if some of the older ones had a longer zone so i'm just checking minuet um right now just to see 
Yeah. Um, yeah so keep yeah. talking, Matt. I think minuet. Is, <laughs> I think minuets four to eight, if I remember. <laughs> but yeah. Um, wow. What were we talking about? Uh, as you look that up, I think we've got a couple of listener questions here. We do. Uh, we saw, heard from Josh. Uh, oh, here we go. And we've got uh, Nancy's written in also actually. Uh, hey all, what's your take on tree paint after pruning? So mm. some folks have told me that it prevents fungus or disease from entering the new wound uh, of the tree or shrub. Others say leave it as is. Your take. Thanks. You know what? Um, I, yeah, I am kind of a yes and no. If you are pruning the, any tree or shrub properly, you have a sharp cut, your tools are disinfected or you maintain your tools. Like us, if we have a clean, sharp cut, the tree or shrub will heal properly. If you know that that tree or shrub has disease issues and there's lots of spores or funguses or cankers or things like that coming from the inside or that might get there, then maybe like if it was a systemic thing, if it's like powdery mildews and things, the tree's gonna see that all the time anyways. It's not really systemic and it's not gonna attack that open cambium layer. So you don't really need to put anything over that. But if you had something like a black knot, um, you might, but uh, overall my over and all initial take is, is no, um, not really. As long as you give it a nice clean cut, like us, the plants have adapted to heal. Uh, and heal properly. It's when we mm-hmm. have a, a very ragged or damaged cut. Or for example, have you ever noticed if your hand pruners, your secateurs, um, they're not quite sharp. So, or you prune it backwards because you know there's a left-handed and a right-handed pruner. Uh, if you prune it incorrectly, you can the blade will skip and cause a tear on the inside. So if you cause that you know tear or that compaction, that might cause an issue. But no, overall, no, Nancy, I would say no. I don't know what your thoughts are. On yeah, it, no, I'm agreeing. And I'm thinking of, because sometimes things like that's what you said covers if you're doing something to the tree, but sometimes there the tree on its own will split or something will happen um, to it. And, um, and, you know, and people kind of wonder and worry, okay, uh-oh, like answer. And then you find sometimes it, and insects get attracted to it that kind of thing. But I think the same thing, like it almost goes back to like in the forest, nobody's putting, like nobody's raking the leaves, nobody's patching the the holes, you know, the, you know, the, the little sores on trees. So I do feel also that they are, it will heal itself. Um, and I think sometimes adding something just draws more attention to it. So if the ants are going to go to the, the wound, they're still going to go to it if there's sticky stuff on it, you know, that kind of thing. And maybe even more so. So I kind of tend to, um, to, to, to say that they'll, they'll heal on their own. If it is something like a Japanese maple or a prize or just a large tree that you really want, don't want to lose and you're worried about it, then I think it's much better to talk to a professional and, and have them look at it because there could be, they, you know, they'll know what to do. Um, and sometimes it's other things like deep root fertilizing, that type of thing, um, you know, to really, uh, to really help the plants. So, um, yes, you that reminded- was a long answer. <laughs> yes, that was a long answer. The, and the only thing you reminded me too, is the only usual times I do recommend it is if there is like, for example, a split or a tear in the bark that isn't quite clean or is pulled back and the guest is finding that water and debris or insects are hiding in there. So not so much that like 
just just to fill it to prevent it from pooling and rotting further because if mm. you use just a natural one like the pruning sealing wax it will flex and it's just a natural wax it'll flex and flake as the tree heals and moves or it'll encompass it and it'll still let it seal itself off so hopefully that answers your question yeah so i guess <laughs> to summarize it depends <laughs> it, it does depend but in general usually no not not really Oh, excellent. Excellent. And we have a first time listener from California. Uh, Karen is listening to from Inglewood, California, which we love knowing where people are listening to us from. Yes. So very interesting. Thanks for the information. So thank you for listening and joining us here. And um, oh, okay. Uh, I was just going to you know, this is Laura. She's written in. I was just going to write in and ask about containers and pots. How big would you recommend? Thank you. Uh, if you're putting the shrubs in them, then I think it just depends on the, the size of the shrub that you get. Um, I would go, you know, usually the shrubs come in like a three gallon pot, right? Was that, is that like 10 inches? Yeah. Two to three gallon. Yeah, exactly. Which is that like 10 to 12 inches. Yeah. So I think you're kind of safe for, if you're dealing with the smaller versions of those, um, staying with, you know, a 10 to 12 inch pot, something like wine and roses might eventually you need to move it up to like a 14 by 16 inch pot. Uh, but I don't, don't think you should put it in too almost like a house plant, not put it in, don't go too big. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to put it in this massive, you know, 48 inch pot and have this like 10 inch little Wigilia sitting in the middle of it. You don't need to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's right. And um, uh, Howard has written in and he said his peonies have a white powdery mildew on the leaves. Do you know what that can be? I'm not home right now to send you a picture. Thank you, though, for considering that. Well, we'd love people to send us pictures. Um, <laughs> he's listening to us at a friend's house. Uh, so, yeah. So thank you, um, Howard. It is mildew and it is kind of common with peonies, isn't it? Yeah, you got it. Yeah, they're prone to just exactly what you said powdery mildew just that kind of white film especially as they get older and thicker that moisture in the air circulation uh drops um or the air circulation drops and the moisture stays uh, especially if you've got overhead watering uh, or even just the, the humidity in the air will allow it to kind of thrive uh, so you can usually get a general garden fungicide at your uh, local um, independent garden center. You can spray it. It will remove the white from it, but it will kill it uh, after a couple applications and uh, prevent it from spreading. Uh, but yeah, oh, unless you have, and peonies can have it, Howard, uh, completely head to toe, even the stems covered in powdery mildew. When it gets to that for a couple of seasons, that tends to weaken your peony. And that's when the winter or something weird is going to come in and, and mm. get it. But it's easily controllable and and manageable. Mm -hmm. She's not going to die from it right away. Yeah. And you can even cut, um, cut it back now, right? If you've got lots of plants around it and the peonies, cause it's done flowering. You I mean, it's okay to cut off the leaves, dispose of the leaves. Don't put them in the compost or anything like that. Um, so yeah. 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 It's good. Right. Um, Nan is also written in unless we wanted to jump somewhere else first. No, no okay. <laughs> Didn't mean to cut you off. Uh, Nan says, a friend of mine told me about spring dormant oil applications, which I guess in brackets is a targeted application of horticultural oil. Uh, he told me that this oil helps uh, limit the harmful insect populations before any significant damage occurs on my plants uh, and shrubs. Uh, what is he talking about? Do you know? Thank you. 
And yes, man, it's, uh, yeah, that dormant oil. Uh, yes, it is usually the, the horticultural oil, uh, but also the dormant oil kit or the dormant spray kit, you can see it called as well, uh, will also sometimes include the lime sulfur. And so you can combine the two of them together. There is a dormant application. Uh, so usually before, again, the buds on your tree or shrub, they can swell. Once they start to show green of the leaf or white or pink of that flower, it's over. And you can do it every two weeks, as long as it's above five degrees until that bud break. And then there's a summer application as well, which is at like a quarter of the strength. And I'm going to get it wrong, Nan, so please don't, don't quote me, but I think it's something like the oil is two tablespoons per three liters, and then the lime sulfur is also something like two teaspoons per three liters of water in the summer. But you don't want to be doing, again, every two weeks, uh, but only if it's lower than 27 degrees Celsius. And I'm sorry if you're in the States and I'm not jumping into the Fahrenheit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and then if you're doing it, it's very common on fruit trees, especially. You only, if it is flowering, you want to wait until the last, last flower petal drops and then count 20 days so the fruit can set and seal themselves off. And then you can start your summer application. And okay. I also will recommend sometimes if it's really infested, give it two weeks for the deciduous stuff to lose all their leaves. Let those leaf scars close. And again, as long as it's above five degrees, two weeks after the final leaf drop, uh, you can do it every two weeks until she drops below five degrees. But that's basically it. The, the lime sulfur burns off any insect eggs and uh, usually more so the, the funguses and the other disease spores or bodies. And then the hort oil is a miticide uh, as well as a smothering oil, which will smother eggs and other spores mm. and prevent them from coming back. It's common in the spring application is common for fruit trees and things, right? That's the right? most common, correct. Yeah, yes. that's the most common. And there is a window, like you said, there's a window when you can do it. And it's always tricky because we never know, like it's February, March, but usually when you, you will find the kits, um, kind of already like a bottle of each and the measuring cup and stuff at your local garden center. So, uh, yes. so definitely. Um, and it is more environmentally friendly uh, than a chemical, right? Because it's, it's oil and sulfur, you know, as opposed to um, an herbicide. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Or an insecticide or something that's going yes. to be crazy. To yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so yeah, so just talking, I think about design wise with Vigilia's, um, you know, they can make a cute little hedge. They mm -hmm. definitely, you know, you can mix the sizes. Um, you know, uh, uh, I really, you know, I, although I've never done that, um, but uh, I could see that. I mean, again, I think uh, groupings, I think they look good in a grouping. Yeah, um, you know, especially the smaller ones, you could definitely midnight wine is a nice little grouping um, where it'll get bigger. Like there's people that love the um, like I think of Concord Barbary, you know, it's got that beautiful color of the burgundy, but not everybody likes the thorns and then coral bells. They've got burgundy, but they're not big enough and uh, they don't really hold up to the winters all the time. Um, so then, you know, you get into like something like the midnight wine, like a nice grouping or, or edging of the garden. Um, you know, even mixing them with hydrangeas, I love the burgundy and the mm -hmm. white together is a, is a great option. Um, and then Sonic Blooms, I think they are cool, like especially having that red mixed in with some white um, in the garden. I did test that, you know, because I am a pretty hydrangea heavy garden and uh, but I, they they hold up because it was a tough spot like this is at the south by the end of the driveway close to the street. 
lots of heat, lots of dry. I can't the now the hose. I've got a hundred foot hose now that can reach, but I don't often go there to water. Um, so I really wanted something that could be tough, and they they definitely have proven uh, to be tough. So yeah, they yeah. are great drought tolerance yeah. for sure. Yeah. So if you, we'd love to post pictures later or on our, in our Facebook group, if you do have Wajilias, if you've got a favorite, if you grew up with one uh, mature, like the, like we said, the Bristol Ruby or, uh, um, you know, so it is nice to know. And I know when I do recommend it in designs and I say Wajilias, like the, usually people are like, oh, because they are picturing the big ones, you know, so it is nice that the, you know, Midnight Wine and uh, My Monet's are are some of the smaller ones, and that Sonic Bloom and um, Wine and Roses and the Maroon Swoon, some of the Dates Night series do stay, you know, a nice manageable size, because I think that's what makes it a low maintenance garden, right? Planting the right plant in the right spot, um, and not having to worry about cutting it back, cutting it back all the time. So, um, so yeah. Agreed. Agreed. You pick the right plant for that mm-hmm. right spot. And like the hydrangeas and the wajelias and the nine barks that we've talked about, there are so many cool shapes and sizes and variation in all that foliage color that you honestly, you, you just, you can't go wrong. You can't mm-hmm. go wrong with those guys. They've yeah. got some great interest mm-hmm. for sure. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, again, I think the, I think the light conditions and the seasonal, the longevity of the season makes them, which is why they were worthy to do a whole show on with Julia. So we hope yeah. uh, you found it interesting. Uh, definitely look for the blue pots. Like we said, the blue mini easy series in the blue pots or, or the series sonic bloom series in the uh, proven winners pots. Um, those are a great option for uh, spots in your garden. And, um, and this is a time of year too. I encourage everybody to take some pictures of your garden. Like, you know, everything's blooming or doing different. It's kind of mid season. Right. Um, and this is where I think when you look at the pictures, you'll start to notice, Oh, wow. Everything has green leaves. Like even if they're flowering, um, you know, would you, a hydrangeas flowering, spireas flowering or different things flowering. And you realize, oh, I could use some burgundy leaves or maybe something isn't flowering. Maybe you have a gap and you want to fill that gap um, or size. If you've got some small pockets of areas, but you don't quite know what to put there, um, then that's where I think things like the Monet and Electric Love and a Midnight Wine uh, can really fill those spots with very little, you know, babying, especially planting them. Like we mentioned, you're planting them mid-season now. Um, mm. I know I transplanted an ornamental grass. My friend Nancy gave me some of her uh, maiden grass and, um, you know, she needed to split hers and I happily, she found a spot in my garden for, for it. Um, but it's, you know, I'm watering it, but it's still not super happy. Like, it's kind of like, Hey, you, you planted me in, in uh, <laughs> July. Um, but I find that these ones are, you know, that's not the case. You know, they don't drop all their flowers, you know, they just, they really do well. So, um, you yeah <laughs> and like that we're done uh, no <laughs> uh, no no I'm glad I'm glad everybody enjoyed you know I love that the question we got some extra uh shrub questions tonight yeah. and um and uh yeah I mean I think it was a great month uh I'm looking forward to flowering trees uh small flowering trees that we're going to talk about in August I did have a listener email me earlier today saying she was looking forward to that so uh we're what what are some things we're going to talk about there Matt? Yeah, that's right. 
August, we are moving into the month of flowering trees. Uh, so we are going to uh, talk about uh, flowering trees on August 2nd, kicks off the month. We're going to talk about the small flowering trees. More often, they're also called standard trees, uh, where there are some of those grafted shrubs to make that tree form, to fill that uh, small dwarf tree size. Uh, so we're going to look at some of the popular choices you'll find in your garden center uh, as well. And if you didn't know, and uh, if, or if you were wondering, maybe some of you know that we jumped over it, but hydrangeas, wigilias, and nine barks all come in a standard tree form, so a small tree uh, and a ball. So we'll look at each of those uh, next week, uh, actually. And then, go ahead. No, I did not know that about nine barks and Majilius that they did that. Did I know that? Oh, yeah, I think you knew that. You, you okay. knew Red Prince comes in it, and uh, mm. uh, Amber Jubilee and Diablo. They're all you knew it. You knew it. <laughs> okay, I just don't use them, but that's you just that's a, yeah, yeah. That's a good thing, though. Okay, so we'll look at some of those those interesting different ones. Uh, August ninth, I think we have decided we are going to pre-record. We are, we are, we are going to pre-record at some point our uh, birthday week, our birthday Monday. Um, so we right. will definitely have a show for you on uh, on August 9th, our birthday. Um, yes, it's odd, but it's it's happened and it's true. Uh, we did not know that when we started doing the show that we coincidentally share a birthday. <laughs> um, so I think that's kind of neat. Um, and it's on a Monday and it's Matt's big birthday. So it's definitely, I'm not doing it anyway, but it's also, you're definitely not doing it. So um <laughs> So yeah, I cannot. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But we will do it a pre a pre uh, done. What's it called? Pre recorded episode. Uh, so we won't be able to take questions, but uh, but we'll make up for that the next week. We promise, right? Well, and I was going to say, yeah, we're going to do a happy birthday question and answer. So we're going to address some of the the big questions that we're often asked uh, to do that or to to talk about. Uh, as well as some of the questions that we get just as industry professionals we'll take a look at. But again, if you would like to, you can always reach out to us. Uh, you can reach uh, Joanne at uh, www.downthenumber2earth.ca. You can send her questions for August 9th there, mm -hmm. uh, either on social media or via email. And again, you can reach me at www.naturalaffinity.ca. Uh, send me some questions uh, and we can talk about it on our happy birthday question and answer a celebration episode. Mm -hmm. can, Definitely. If you've got questions, I mean, even they're about specific varieties of flowering trees or how you maintain them, um, recommended for some spots, it's a perfect time for you to email us some uh, some photos even that we can refer to. So definitely, um, you know, even though we can't take the questions live, um, this is one where you can kind of, uh, uh, we don't know when we're going to record this yet, but we will schedule that soon, uh, obviously before August 9th, but yes. uh, <laughs> yeah, so please send us, uh, and in studio 101 at gmail.com as well, right? Gary will send them to us. Absolutely. Sure. Excellent. <laughs> excellent. So, uh, so yeah. As we continue through the month on the 16th, we're going to take a look at a great group of uh, large flowering trees or multi-stemmed shrubs, the flowering dogwood group. We do mm. have some natives to North America, which are spectacular uh, small uh, trees and shrubs for the garden or medium-sized trees and shrubs for the garden. Then we're going to jump into the large flowering trees. We'll talk about things like Chanticleer pears, those big crab apples, and some of those uh, cool ones. One of maybe uh, my favorite tartan maple. Uh, hot wings, the cultivar. I love that one. Ah. I'll be looking for that. And then we are going to end the month, the August month. Uh, it doesn't have to be flowering trees related, but your questions 
And our answer is one of our quarterly um, uh, little, you know, casual talks. Send us your questions, lawns, trees, shrubs, perennial annuals, houseplants. Uh, and we'd just love to connect with our listeners as we always do every Monday night. Excellent. Excellent. That's August. <laughs> yeah. And that is August. So yeah, we want to thank everybody for joining us here each week on uh, Down the Garden Path. Um, please reach out to us like Matt had told you about our um, all of our links that you can find us on and check out our past episodes. Uh, like we said, if you search your uh, uh, favorite co- podcast app or our websites, you'll find our shrub month from last year with lots of different uh, uh, discussions. And we'll have that in our show notes too, right? Links to the native ours and evergreen Evergreens. and uh, uh, shrubs and, and things like that. So we did some yeah. great episodes last year in 2020. And um, so lots of really good information. That's right. Those will definitely be in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Are you getting ready to going back to school or teaching your class in September? Yep. Teaching class in September. And uh, I heard there might be the, you know, decide to open or, or colleges and universities. There's the talk that we might go back as normal. Um, so we might get a, a nice big group of fresh young court students and horticulturists to come through. So definitely looking forward Excellent. to that. Oh, good, good, yeah. good. Excellent, excellent. And yeah, this design season is coming along. So, uh, so yeah, so we will, uh, like I said, as we wrap up tonight, we want to thank everybody for your questions and for listening to us here on Reality Radio 101 and joining us as always down the garden path. Thank you for listening to Down the Garden Path with your host, Joanne Shaw and Matthew Dressing right here on Reality Radio 101.